Hey everyone, the recent crisis involving Paytm Payments Bank in India is seen as a wake-up call for India's fintech ecosystem, highlighting the imperative of regulatory compliance, risk management and governance for digital banking entities. It has sent shockwaves through the country's financial landscape, raising concerns about the future of digital banking entities in India. So, what's in store for concept of payment banks in the coming days in the aftermath of the latest RBA restrictions on Paytm Payments Bank? Given the huge success of UPI in recent years, how viable are payment banks in the current times? Should RBA review the regulatory framework and the need for licensing of such banks nearly a decade after its introduction by the central bank in 2015. Will fintech startups face heightened scrutiny from stakeholders and regulatory authorities impacting their growth prospects and access to funding? To get a rounded perspective on the entire gamut of issues involving payment banks in India and to do some crystal ball gazing of its future, BusinessLine spoke to Dr. Srinath Sridharan, Policy Research and Corporate Advisor. Here is a brief introduction of my guest today. Dr. Sridharan has been a strategic counsel for over 27 years with leading corporates across diverse sectors including automobile, e-commerce, advertising and financial services. He is an independent director across multiple sectors. Sridharan is also an advisor to corporate boards on transformation initiatives from succession planning to business scaling. He also coaches and mentors senior leaders across multiple industry sectors. Dr. Sridharan, who recently co-authored a book, Time for Bharat, a book on public governance, is a visiting fellow at the Observer Research Foundation. Welcome to BL Podcast, Dr. Sridharan. The first question that I have for you is, help our listeners understand what is the difference between a normal commercial bank and a payment bank. And secondly, in a post-UPI world, how viable are payment banks? So good morning, Shrivats. Um, thank you. And it's lovely to be back on Business Line Podcast. First question is, I think, kind of a soul-searching exercise that I think RBI would do. Uh, let me go back to payments bank and the concept came out only in 2014 with the Nachiket Moore uh, report that was tabled. And then subsequently, 11 licenses were issued. Of course, after the 11 licenses, many did not even take it up. The fundamental difference between payment bank and a universal bank is this. The function of a bank is to take deposits and also lend onward lending and manage their expenses within what they actually raise deposits at. It should be cheaper than what they actually lend forward. It's a simple premise of business of banking. That core business premise of banking of raising deposits and doing onward lending and the spreads being what you have has not changed for last probably about 600 years of formal banking uh, that has evolved over human history. Payments bank envisages a scenario where you actually don't allow those banks to lend 
but you actually take deposits capped at 1 rupees and subsequently increased to 2 lakh rupees for certain segments and then they were supposed to basically bring in differentiated financial inclusion almost like electronic bank accounts for every indian above 18 years of age but let's remember that this was the year 2014 when upi did not formally exist and now let's cut to the chase of your question about what's the future of payment bank and i think that's a larger regulatory review that i expect rbi to do considering that today upi has far greater number of consumers almost 1 is to 3 to the number of customers of payment banks what's the relevance of a payment bank and two if banks are not viable especially in the data and the digital era that we live in will there be a fear of those payment banks or any other sort of bank trying to misuse consumer data for monetizing them that's other angle that uh, i think over a point in time we need to speak if you ask me um, as an individual i think uh, we will have to do some soul searching on viability of lot of these banking licenses that we have we have plethora of them and each of them when they were introduced had a need it could be a need for serving a certain customer segment it could have been even need for going for geographic spread in reaching customers who were not who were then unbanked but today the basic question does payment bank hold sanctity i uh, i would vote no we will have to go back to a re- regulatory review to look at viabilities of all these banking categories saying will they be financially viable are they adding value to a customer's life my hypothesis is it does not oh okay that's very interesting so then what could be the right transition for the existing payment banks we already have several of them on the ground right so if future viability of these entities are in question how does one give them a smooth transition to a, a different structure Sure, that's a very interesting question now today regulations allow for a payment bank which has been um, around for some time as long as regulatory um, requirements have been met and after 5 years of satisfactory performance they can apply to convert themselves into a small finance bank but as an individual i think for me the jury is still out including the viability of sfbs i mean because if you look at the genesis of sfbs they were t- basically most of them were microfinance institutions which converted themselves into banks and called themselves and under the category of sfb but if you think that you're going to be superbly profitable considering the larger pool of universal banks and what they do universal banks are equally getting digitally savvy they are doing the same business that an sfb does or a payments bank does so in that case uh, the advantage of casa goes to large known universal banks and i think that's a challenge i think rbi understands my hope is at some point in time the regulatory review of we have accumulated licenses i see india was a license uh, raj country but i think we still believe or we still have lot of these license categories banking has multiple banking categories and i think it's time that we do a review of each of them and say what works now for the 21st century because india has built phenomenal pipeline of digital public infrastructure and these did not exist 10 years ago so you had to physically let's say have a cooperative bank single cooperative bank multi state cooperative bank you needed an sfb payment bank universal bank i mean lots of them. today 
with digital public infrastructure and bank branches can we harmonize our banking license categories and the future of payments bank or sbs i think is going to be in the regulatory review otherwise shivat you know this right i mean every quarter there is a flavor of the season banks will say oh this time we did fantastic in retail somebody will say we did fantastically in wholesale somebody will say corporate i think that has to end and i just want to go back to talking about the structural difference of indian banking versus let's say developed nations banking and in the developed nations uh, the banks actually concentrate on smaller borrowers retail customers because the bond markets are far wider and deeper so the corporates access the bond market for growth whereas in india it's actually inverted the banks have been traditionally and continue to be focused in government business and corporate business the co- bond market is very shallow which means all that we are saying as psl women borrowers msme sme agri all of that is almost a subset it's almost like an affirmative action rather than concentrated growth and that is why i believe the regulatory review of licenses is needed uh, and probably a different kind of differentiated bank what stops india from having mortgage bank what stops india from having sme bank and i think those are the new age thinking that we need to bring in rather than accumulating the old license categories sure but that if i may uh, ask you there that is probably the reason why the uh, governor of that day thought it prudent to look at courage innovation in the form of payment banks right oh absolutely so, uh, in 2014 maybe that was the best idea on the table correct in 2023 you feel it may not be so i think so i think which is why i calling it a regulatory review because the regulators have to start reviewing efficacy of a license and the need and relevance of that license for the current market condition and the consumer if customer is more than happy with upi trying to force fit them a payment bank uh, what does it serve because the payments bank can't lend so some of those questions will have to come back to the table and say how do we look at the past the past again in mutual fund we say this right past is no indicator of the future but there are lots of learnings in the past we should not brush away the legacy in the past but what worked for us in 2014 probably in 2024 we are a different india india today is far more data led and digital led and i think that's the recognition we need to bring to the financial services segment also great thank you for that so now the the topic which is top most in the minds of indians is the recent paytm payment bank interventions of rbi right so what is your take on this on the ongoing crisis at the paytm payments bank how do you see the future panning out for this bank see i think uh, one it's a regulated industry banking is a regulated industry so uh, and the indian banking regulator the rbi is extremely very prudent and conservative as banking regulators should be but at the same time uh, with all the various allegations in the media reports and the rbi press releases that have been put up if one reads between the line and also when i uh, allude to the npc uh, the day interview that uh, the governor and the deputy governor spoke about this particular entity you can't have a perennially non conformist to compliance running a bank so to me the trust is the biggest currency that financial services has so if the regulators have lost trust in you and they are saying that they have been repeatedly following it up for compliance issues i think we have a fundamental problem 
So if you ask me, I'm not commenting on the particular bank alone, but I'm saying that it's a message to the larger audience. If you're not compliant, if you can't tow the regulatory line, don't be in this business. Just because you're technology-led, because you're a fintech-led, just because you have lots of uh, large equity capital, just because you're a poster boy, none of those cuts eyes in the financial markets or financial space. So I think that is where, as a, a common man, citizen, I'm very happy that regulators, in, in fact, act when needed. Uh, but again, it also brings me to that one question. Why were they patient for, if they're saying that it has been perennial non-compliance, why were they patient? And the larger one is, what is the larger message they're sending to others to the line? So that takes me to my next question, which is, uh, do you see this episode hurting how foreigners look at the Indian fintech ecosystem or the investments that could flow into this segment because of this episode of Paytm Payments Bank? No, in fact, I see it the other way around, Shivats. Uh, I think uh, the regulatory action sends a message of confidence and comfort saying that there will no hits and misses or lapses possible with this regulator at all. Which means that if you're an investor putting money in a fintech, it's a great market to be in because uh, RBI, for that matter, the other financial regulators, SEBI or IRDA, are going to ensure that your money is safe and it's not going to be blown up because of compliance issue or because of they missed the boat. So that, I think it's a positive sign by the RBI action. But it's also a larger message to the fintech ecosystem of saying that don't be exuberant. In the financial services space, the more conservative, more prudential norms uh, you are, I think the better off it is for the long-term sustenance. Okay. So uh, where do you think did uh, ATM Payments Bank flounder? Is it only in compliance or is there much more beyond that? Because the business model itself could probably, you know, raise red flags, right? See, business model being what it is, it is not, I think the word flounder is a different one. Uh, compliance is a serious foundation for uh, financial services business and uh, there is no getting away from it. From what we heard, from what RBI said the other day, it has been repeated compliance issues is of discomfort. Uh, the very fact that uh, RBI levied one of the highest penalties on this entity last year uh, also shows that they probably gave enough time. RBI that way has a very, very strong, robust process. Uh, there's a conversation that happens between the management of the entities. And if you notice, this entire entity is about Paytm Payments Bank, which is the RBI regulated entity, not 197 communications. And I'm yet to see the KMPs of Paytm Payments Bank actually speak in public anytime around this. And that's a surprise that I have. RBI is speaking to the payments bank, but it's almost like the non-executive directors of that, which are the founder of Paytm and probably his core team, are actually answering. So that itself is a bigger message of how they got this wrong. In the financial services business, the designated people should speak. The designated people have to be held accountable. I think that's a big miss. Sure, but why is it a matter of surprise given that Paytm Payments Bank is an unlisted entity, right? Uh, they are not legally obligated for the KMPs to come out to the public and explain where they stand. 
okay this is where i'm going to draw an analogy right uh, payments paytm bank let's say uh, is the student in a classroom and rbi being the principal is asking certain questions the parent cannot suddenly jump in and answer all the questions when the principal is asking the child of a certain behavior and that is very very evident and a protocol based which happens in all the global jurisdictions you are actually when you are asked a question as a kmp of a regulated entity we are not you are talking about a listed entity or the markets regulator we are talking about a banking regulator asking questions about something from the bank and the bank is not responding the bank's founder or the founding investors are actually responding that's a message in itself i think if it is about compliance if it is about certain things let the regulated entity answer i think that's a very very core basic ask of regulations and so your message is that more communication was desirable or is desirable from the management of the payments bank so i think so and I, and i think uh, if you ask me probably it is too late because the confidence of the regulator and here i'm speculating i don't speak for the regulator or anybody any party in this entire issue clearly uh, mm. i think the regulator has lost trust uh, in this entity the kmp is probably the board and definitely the founders for if they are saying that i have had repeated issues with compliance not behaving well i think it's a clear mm. message i am reading it as so, saying they might save the company they might save the entity but not necessarily the others the others have to go sure but going by past track record of the rbi and the indian banking system uh, do you see a scenario where entity like a payment bank would be allowed to be going down so it's not going down right i mean if if rbi has successfully managed various crises over the decades uh even a couple of years ago we saw one of the bank fold up into another bank uh, i mean uh, and it did it successfully and it had branches it had mobile and digital banking everything and the fact is if they can do it for a brick and mortar brick and click kind of a model in the digital payments bank where there are no loans but only deposits uh, i think rbi would have a plan b plan c plan d already planned and the very fact that they came out to take the stand i'm sure they've thought through probably lots of parallel conversations would be happening various cases possible right one they just say okay i'm not renewing the license i'm porting all the customers to another payment bank or another entity which will run it another bank quite possible and mm-hmm. i think that is where the ease of uh, regulations is going to come in they've been handling this well and i think their confidence even if they save it for the time being who will run it because if if we are saying that we don't trust the kmp we don't trust the board we don't trust the founder somebody else has to come in so even if it is saved today i think probably it will be kept aside for one more rainy day to take action there so i think the future of uh, paytm payments bank is probably better off without the current set of stakeholders and uh, if at all it has to be saved but i'm also saying that it should it will not hinder an rbi action because they would have thought through various possibilities of how to salvage this without inconvenience to the customers the section that they have used to take action against paytm is a section that allows them to take any action necessary to safeguard public depositor or consumer interest okay so does that mean uh, i mean i'm asking you a legal question here that is there a concept of 
delicensing or taking away the license even in respect of payment banks yes there is i mean a, a regulator can and regulator has been saying this only about much about compliance issues and if you read the last year's note that rbi put up about penalties and action and the previous year it's almost like every year there is a uh, action that has been taken against uh, the entities uh, so to speak uh, and it has always spoken about kyc issue aml issue cyber issue data management issue in a payment bank if you actually knock off all this four what else is there and if rbi has been consistently saying i have problem with almost each of those uh, there is something fundamentally wrong and what i also want to balance this conversation is this uh, the fear that i have is almost fintech is becoming the bad word in all this it is not so there are lots of fintechs which have worked brilliantly lot of them under the radar they they working as either regulated entities or vendors or associates of banks and doing phenomenal job in maintaining the financial stability but for some of these errant companies which come back with almost non compliance the message out there seems to be that fintechs are all cowboys it is not so and that's a fear that i have so the perception has always been that or as it gained ground only after the paytm payments bank crisis see i think initially probably it was 50 50 somebody said payment fintechs are great we need tech guys uh, somebody said i mean if you remember shivaj even last year or two years ago when niti aayog came with the concept paper on having digital only bank uh, the jury was still out people were saying no it is too risky or great idea i mm. think today that idea is going to go back into a shell for some more time uh, i oh, don't think there is going to be my speculation mm. is regulatory confidence in fintechs behaving better and well i think it has just taken a beating especially in a conservative setup like india i mean i wouldn't call it conservative i think it's also about consumer grievance redressal right i mean we live in a market where for somebody that 30 rupees um, missed payment is very very important at the bottom of our pyramid uh, so we can't shy away from that the reality is that is there we need to solve for it but again there are lots of good things that fintechs have built over the years i think the very fact that financial inclusion took off was the combination of digital public infrastructure uh, the jam trinity and fintechs i think they have done more for financial inclusion than the banks have done in the previous 50 years uh, this is a statement so, that so so what what you are trying to say is that uh, this episode may prompt us to dial back on our innovation journey correct i mean i think it's not necessarily dialing back but i think we are going to do more stress testing of every single innovation of saying that whether it ticks all the regulatory compliances needs i think that is mm. what it is going to do and also i have a fear that if some of the fintechs were to come into the public markets ipo in the next few months the mm. general mood of how you assess them their valuation and the questions around them is going to be far more critical and i think which is why the way rbi will act uh, on this license i mean we are going to have another couple of weeks before they decide i think that is going to send a larger message of what they mean for financial stability the good thing is rbi keeps financial resilience and financial stability as a core of everything it does of course consumer protection and yes fintechs for a time being are going to 
uh, be the victim of this perception so do you think this will uh, impact adversely the journeys of other payment banks to transform into say a small finance bank if if they have already met the other requirements like a five year track record and all that so i don't think so uh, because uh, if uh, they had been compliant um, that is why we have not heard anything about them uh, from the rbi with a regulatory action so which means that they are compliant uh, and the journey of any bank obviously with all the intent uh, they cannot be necessarily 100% compliant they will keep improving that they will keep improving the quality of compliance audit risk management and governance but the larger narrative is payment banks are mature enough to go the sfb route the question that i have coming back to our very first conversation is will it make them better feasible business as a bank as a sfb that's a question that i still i don't have answers for i'm suspecting that it won't be mm-hmm. so that begs the question whether the category should survive or not correct i, I think which is why i think uh, rbi at some point uh, should do a regulatory review of all the types of banking licenses it has everything because every every license had a reason why it was started with the then set of data and market conditions and the data and the market conditions have evolved over the many years or decades and i think we'll have to revisit some of this to say how can the banking sector add value in the entire narrative about amritkal politically to from the economic and the socio economic growth that we have in terms of per capita gdp let's not talk only about gdp let's get to per capita gdp and the third one is i think more importantly how do we bring every unbanked person into bank and how do we improve credit access because the entire journey of banking is pricing the risk if somebody says i am risk averse don't be in the financial business at all finance business is about pricing the risk 20 years ago we thought let's say somebody selling fruits on the road uh, the street cart was not credit worthy today with digital pipeline and fintech we have figured out that they are equally credit worthy right i think there's a journey that we have seen as a market how do we use that data points to relook at our licenses sure that's interesting so and in your view do you think rbi made a mistake in introducing this innovation in 2014 itself not at all i think 2014 we did not have so much of digital uh, the jam trinity and others so it was a great initiative to bring both the segments which was sfb as well as payments bank but all i am now saying is 10 years out we have had enough experiences probably uh, seven to eight years of operations of some of these banks i think it is time to do a regulatory review not only of these two categories i'm also going back to cooperative banks multi state cooperative there are so many segments of licenses how are they adding value and can we map it to how do we want to steer the future i think that is the a genesis sort, of a, a sort of you're calling for a sort of a white paper on licensing bank licensing white paper but i'm using the phrase regulatory review because a lot of it uh, will come from the internal data that rbi has and they have very very rich data sets and very very eminent qualified folks to who can do those and comment on it so i think it, i'm saying that it will come from there if you look at every single license category it evolved from within the rbi i mean uh, the genesis is the early 90s we have the narasimham committee twice we had the narasimham committee Uh, which brought in a lot of reforms to improve banking sector 
Then we also had the entire word financial inclusion was coined in 2005 by Governor Reddy. So there's a lot of rich repository of data and probably even contextual knowledge of why some of these licenses were created. I'm saying we'll have to go back and say, don't accumulate. Let's not be hoarding off licenses. Let's figure out are they being relevant and useful. Uh, very similar conversation around NBFCs, right? I mean, every couple of years is a um, good, uh, let's say, good kind of following for NBFC. And suddenly it becomes a bad word. We start using the phrases like shadow bank, para bank. I think we'll have to stop doing that. If they are needed for a reason, let them exist. But if you suspect that they're existing for the wrong reason today, grandfather them out. Give them a time and say, in three years, we are going to grandfather this license out. Either you liquidate or you merge into something else. I think we'll have to take some of those bold steps for reforms. Otherwise, we are going to have a supervisory bottleneck because the more licenses, more entities that get accumulated as a regulator, they also have the necessity for supervising. And I think that is where I'm saying we need to move towards a regulatory review. Okay, got that. So uh, that takes me to my next question is how are the foreign jurisdictions handling, uh, you know, fintechs, innovation in banking? And uh, do we see uh, mushrooming of more digital banks abroad? Uh, maybe they may not call it as a, a payment bank. How are they handling it? Sure, fair I'm question. Sure, I, I'm, I sure, I'm sure accidents happen there also, right? Oh, absolutely. In the US, we saw one of the biggest banks around the 15th largest bank, SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. We saw what happened to its large exposure to the tech world, not just fintech, the tech world. Of course, it was a brick and mortar company, bank, but it still went, went under. If you look at, there is no Apple to Apple comparison. The uh, digital public infrastructure is far higher in, in India. Uh, but again, we will be far more conservative in regulatory supervision compared to the US uh, because we have far larger number of consumers who are in the bottom of the pyramid. And that's a uh, social ask that we have. If you compare with UK, which was one of the earliest innovators for open banking concept and challenger banks, digital only banks, it's I think nearly about 10 years since they've had digital only banks. So. I think each market is different and I think the learnings are there, I think which is what Niti Aayog has brought into its white paper one and a half years ago of proposing a digital only bank. But my fear is this, every time the digital stakeholders have a hiccup like this, I'm calling the payment bank issue as a hiccup, it sets back that regulatory confidence in the entire system of stakeholders. Which means that if fintechs were to convert themselves into digital-only banks, the challenge, as you know, in the entire banking space is where will their deposits, public deposits, come from? If you don't have the ability to raise deposits, how are you going to actually lend? So I think there are these, uh, we shouldn't behave like cowboys. At the same time, the conversation that people say, oh, RBI is stifling innovation is not true. It's just not true. Uh, it is the same regulator which has allowed for UPI, now UPI plus, the payment concept, and the various banks to flourish. And it was one of the first one to put sandbox approach. So the reality is, yes, there are various examples what, that are happening around the world. But I think India is a far, far, far greater leader in some of these innovations. Where in the world can you step out without a wallet, uh, actually travel within the country using just a phone? An example, if you have a payment wallet, 
if you have let's say digi locker or a digi yatra you don't need to carry your identity card you carry you don't need to carry your boarding pass or train tickets so india has as leapfrog lot of these concepts using digital public infrastructure so coming back i think india can leapfrog into i think far far greater digital engagement but again we are also hearing rbi's pragmatism here saying ensure that the data governance and cyber security is safe because we are also hearing lot of these issues about phishing and identity theft which rbi as a regulator will be concerned rightly concerned sure but see uh, i i do agree that rbi has been at the forefront in the way they have uh, uh, promoted encouraged uh, innovation there's no doubt about that but should uh, the regulator or the policy makers also uh, take a relook on how we approach in rescuing failed entities in the space right i am sure the developed markets have a different approach and the way uh, we are looking at it they do uh, allow banks to you know collapsed banks to wind up whereas in india i i i have not come across that kind of approach right we are always looking to rescue the banks and at the same time we do have a vibrant insolvency and bankruptcy code which covers the financial sector as well right sure i think uh, there are two aspects here shivats and uh, the first one is the ibc as a code itself um, is very few years um, uh, old so from that we will have to allow it for uh, for it to mature there are lots of learnings obviously but the larger question i have is in the ibc space we all seem to find fault with the law or the regulation but the larger question is are the stakeholders actually mature enough i think it is one stage where the law seems mature but the stakeholders don't seem seem mature what do i mean by it is this right your question about will we allow a bank uh, to go bankrupt or insolvent the reality is the theoretical answer or the financial answer might be yes but the social obligation that we have uh, in india is very very different it is all about consumer trust if a guy loses even 1 rupee of deposits uh, there's a huge uh, uproar but if he loses let's say 1000 rupees betting on a lottery he is okay with it uh, so i think our consumer behavior is very different so which is why we cannot actually bring in what has worked for the western world saying that allow for banks to fail and which is why i said right the paytm payment bank for all you know rbi has multiple options allow it to continue but penalize the owners or the kmps or whatever to fold it into somebody else because their focus is going to be the consumers and the overall market it's not about trying to save it for the founder and i think that is why we'll have to be very clear are we mature enough as a market i think so give it under probably when our gdp per capita is probably 3x can we have the same conversation i think the answer might be very different now can we allow for let's say banks to go under probably yes no i i do agree the point that india is slightly different on the social aspects on the social demands and requirements but you look at it from a market oriented approach if we are to or if we have over the last 3 decades taken up a path of being a market oriented economy so will this deterring be the right approach 
so i think we are no we have been even kind right i mean the if for a listed entity uh, the markets kind of decide the valuation right we have seen the the price volatility that let's say this entity paytm has seen in the last one week the reality is markets are one two the regulate regulations will also have to set a message for the future they because every time they take a regulatory action it's a precedence for the next one so the larger question is if rbi allows paytm to go scot free now when i say paytm i'm talking about not just entity but also all the stakeholders what is the message it is going to send to others that non compliance is okay and i think so which is why i am not jumping the gun probably it's matter of another two weeks before rbi will come with its decision uh, and they know what is good for the system the reality is paytm payments bank in the entire ecosystem is very very minuscule they don't lend uh, it's very very small but guess what True, but, the uh, amount the of structure 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 is like that they cannot lend right i i do agree there but but again but, very important right they if they are going to sit with free crore indians who use their wallet which is mm-hmm. a license status in that bank i think there is a mm-hmm. structural issue that rbi will try to resolve because you can't have even 0.1% of 3 crores affected it's a large number mm-hmm. so which is why i said uh, i am very confident that rbi would have a plan b and a plan c of how to port that data if the license is getting cancelled and all this would have been done and also mm-hmm. if you read the circular what they issued 10 days ago it's very clear in the previous time rbi took action it stopped customer from getting out of that bank because it capped the deposits everything here it is not done anything it is actually telling the customer you want to withdraw please go ahead so is that a message by itself in the other cases where rbi took action of asking the bank any of the banks not to onboard new new customers it also gave a kind of a reprieve saying until the requirements are met here there is no comments on that sure so uh, that takes me to my last question you know it's a sort of a perplexing question from my side that if rbi knew that paytm payments bank was non compliant and not at par with their requirements for the last 3 4 years Hmm. why did rbi then include paytm payments bank uh, or why did they count it as a scheduled commercial bank last year that's a very fair question shivas i think it's a question that uh, it's in each of our minds right if somebody has been a perennial uh, indisciplined child uh, why did you allow that child to actually run a class or whatever so answer i think the only answer would be with the rbi um, and especially for a perennial uh, non compliant entity to allow them to participate in the mainstream financing processes and access open market systems there is a large question and worry of doubt is there something that are there let's say wheels within wheels of gaps between rbi departments that has led to this probably i think there will be lots of questions that they definitely are already answering this it's a point that you have made a very valid question and i hope that somebody asks the rbi this question the next time there's a presser very interesting so thank you so much shrinath for all your insights and uh, the wide ranging perspectives that you shared with business line on the future of payment banks and uh, the issues at hand especially the regulatory ones so 
thank you for joining the podcast and uh, thank you for sharing your expertise on the issues at hand thank you so much thank you shivas thank you